podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everyone to another episode of Eat Sleep Suffrex Retweet. I'm Andy Mitchell and today we've got a special show. We are talking about probably the most intense wrestler of all time. Though he's colourful, he was just mental. We're talking about the Ultimate Warrior. And just before I introduce my panel, which is a shorter panel because I couldn't find any other um, Ultimate Warrior fans to do this or anyone around the age of when the Ultimate Warrior was about. So... If you're interested in the podcast, then please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on uh, at Suflex Retweet, and also follow us on our podcasting formats in iTunes, any Android site, and Spotify. And let's meet our panel. First of all, if this guy had to have any wrestler appear in a mirror, it would probably be Fizzera, who would come and haunt Gary Perrin. Hi there, guys. Uh, I'm calling in today from parts unknown, and looking forward to talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Alright, was he sent here in a capsule from a place not from here and I and came here for one reason to help with this podcast. It's Chris. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thank you very much. I am very happy to be here, guys. Loving just being able to sit down and talk about some of the classics, you know. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior. He's aged like a fine wine. <laughs> uh, looking forward to going back to a time when the promo quality was questionable and the wrestling quality was questionable but that's not the point we're just here to enjoy a retrospective of this wonderful wonderful man and lastly topping off the panel is the man that's here every week he runs the show and uh production nightmares are the best part of his day it's quacky raji <laughs> production nightmares the best part of the day you see it like i have no life is that what you're trying to say there mitchell uh, well, I don't know. You do. Uh, you do do a lot uh, involved with the East Sleep Suplex Retweet family. So, <laughs> I think Steve. Steve. Uh, uh, I don't know. Steve has a lot of uh, puts a lot on you. <laughs> well, that, so. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have uh, somebody on my side when it comes to a union strike that I'll be partaking <laughs> later. <laughs> Uh, anyways, as we've said before, we're talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, he, what is there to say about this guy? He was probably the most intense person to enter the WWF, uh, WWE at the time. And I think he was like one of the first guys that I remember seeing and thinking, wow, wrestling, what is this crazy sort of thing? Uh, Gary, what's your first? what was your first sort of introduction to the Ultimate Warrior? Oh, I threw remember watching the warrior on my vhs tapes of the of the old wrestlemanias they weren't old wrestlemanias at the time of course and he was just exciting to watch i mean the fact his promos made no sense didn't matter as much because like i was i was so young watching it and i and I think this plays out a little bit later on. You know, he, he appealed to that that demographic, to the young fans. He was just he was exciting. His matches were fast paced, and it didn't matter that he didn't know how to do an arm drag. He, for us, it did, did to his opponents, of course, but he was just exciting to watch. So that, I think of that sort of energy that he brought. You know, that in, 
run to the ring. He had an entrance before an entrance was a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's probably why his match was so short, because he was already gassed before he hit the ring, because he was like, <laughs> running so fast. Uh, what about yourself, Chris? What was your first sort of memory of uh, the Ultimate Warrior? So, mine's a bit weird. Like, for See, for a lot of wrestlers of this era... My first experience of them wasn't watching wrestling. Like I started watching wrestling in 2000, so I was way past like golden era. But the first experience I had of like guys like Warrior and guys like Macho Man, it was all in Legends of Wrestling. So once I discovered these guys, I was just like, who are they all? And I'd go on YouTube and look up clips. And I remember bizarrely, like I started the worst possible way. The first clip I ever watched of Ultimate Warrior was his match against Triple H at WrestleMania. And then I sort of worked my way backwards from there. Uh, I've uh, I've grown to love the maniac himself, um, and uh, yeah, I think yeah, definitely Triple Triple H. His last mania appearance was the the first match of Ultimate Warriors I watched. Not a good starting point. And and uh, Quacker, what is it? Do you have any fond memories of the Warrior, or are you just here <laughs> just listening to what we're going to talk about? Yeah, I'm, I'm a passenger on this one, I'm afraid. The, the most research I've done is literally <laughs> finding his music that you can actually hear in the background. I hope you like it. And also the break that will come up soon. So yeah, um, but yeah, interesting character. Obviously, saw when he did. Unfortunately, his final promo in Raw, which unfortunately turned out to be his eulogy. So yeah, that's always quite sad to to kind of have that memory of him. Yeah, we'll talk about more about that later. But uh, you just mentioned his theme song. Uh, all I'll say is, if Cocaine was a, a song, it would probably be the Ultimate Warriors in terms of just how intense it is. Uh, starting off, we'll just start about his humble beginnings. Like his name was Jim Helwig, and before he was a wrestler, like many wrestlers, he was a bodybuilder, and he was working out at the gym. He was a pretty big guy, and someone said, "Hey, look, you look good. Why don't you take up wrestling?" And can anybody name the first partner he got teamed with in his uh, wrestling sort of beginnings? I know what he went on to be called, but I don't remember what he was called then. Um, but he was the legend that became Sting. Yeah, so it's quite interesting to see that like you have Sting and you have the Ultimate Warrior and they're in this like like with their style of face painting that they were like a tag team in the start of the career and they were managed by none other than Seb Coulter who was there to obviously give them promo tips. It's quite quite an interesting little bit of history. Uh, have you heard about the Blade Runners, Chris? Yes, the reason I've heard of them, I think, was something. It was maybe the destruction the self-destruction ultimate warrior dvd which i'm sure we're going to talk about a wee bit later on but i remember just thinking like even just when i was looking up some of this stuff last night i was just like could you imagine how different things could have been like on one hand could you imagine if sting and warrior had both ended up at the same company let alone two if they remained a tag team i think everything could have been so so different um and I've, I've even tried to look up promos from this period of time. Obviously, it's the 80s. Not only is the quality terrible, but the actual promo quality is terrible as well. I, I watched this one promo where the interviewer was just like, oh, I know you're both single. And Warrior's like, yeah, we're just two single dudes looking to mingle. And I was like, this is embarrassing to watch. But even back then, like you could see the mannerisms coming out. Like they had the face paint. Like both wrestlers would go on to use face paint quite successfully. Um, it was just—it was such a strange world. Like imagine those 
career paths both diverging in such different directions afterwards. Yeah, the start of his career I think is quite interesting because um, even just to go back before he got into the UWF, um, his first territory I think was Men- Memphis or one of his first territories was Memphis was Jerry the King Lawler um, yep. who he went on to have an absolutely terrible feud with in WWF um, in many years to come but then going into the UWF and when uh, I think it was Cowboy Bill yeah Cowboy Bill Watts seen them as a, a ver- you know their version of the Road Warriors uh, there and um you would just never see in where these guys were later in their career. You would just never have put them together as a tag team. Yeah, it's one of those like weird sort of wrestling trivias. It's like, oh, did you like trail involved? Did the Ultimate Warrior and you know Sting were they tag teams? But yeah, they were sort of. Bill Watts said that he wanted them to be a kind of like a parody of the Road Warriors, and you can kind of see with the face paint and that. But essentially, he left the uh, UVW and. UVW, UWF, there's too many acronyms when, when it comes to wrestling, it's easy to get confused. So and then he joins World World Class Championship Wrestling as the Dingo Warrior. I don't know where he got the Dingo part, but this is essentially the uh, precursor to the Ultimate Warrior. And they actually wanted him to be a heel, but because of the way he was and the colourfulness and the intensity, it's like, how can you hate a guy like that? Like... Do you any of you remember uh, his time as the Dingo Warrior, or do you want to just move on to his WWF debut? Well, what I uh, didn't remember until I was doing some research and re- refreshing myself for this show is that he, he actually debuted in WWF in 1987 as the Dingo Warrior. I mean, he was doing like their sea shows and house shows under that gimmick, and you know, by the time they were getting them ready for. For, for main television they of course decided to change his name then but um, you know, I think a lot of folk assume that um, that he came into WWF and was immediately repackaged but that wasn't quite the case Yeah I've read the story that I'm sure everyone else has read but I've read the story that basically Vince saw this guy called the Dingo Warrior but at the time he already had the Texas Tornado who was called something warrior <laughs> the mo- um, he was wrestling as the modern day warrior he wasn't in WWF it. at that time but he was, uh, I think it was somewhere else and as well as that they already had the road warriors and so that's how Vince or someone else came up with the idea right Right, we won the ultimate warrior which I think is pretty, it's a pretty fun backstory Vince is quoted as saying what kind of warrior is a dingo warrior uh, yeah so he comes in as the dingo warrior and I, f- I think it was I-, I can't remember if I saw it on the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior where like you've got the road warriors you've got all that so let's make him the ultimate warrior which is like a good name for uh, a wrestler and he comes in and it's just like who is you know he must come in with this mystique especially during the 80s where it's like he's got the face paint he's got the hair he's got the tassels and I don't know if he had that music straight away but it's like you know you know, just him coming through it's like how can you not love that as a kid you know I think that, that like during that time as well where it was just you know it was the kids sort of loving wrestling more and more and it's just do you remember any of early, early feuds uh, Gary? Um I remember um, you know, first appearing uh, was in 1987, so I was five then, and I don't remember his first match, but uh, you know, that was at Wrestling Challenge. Um, but his early career just seemed to be intertwined with Bobby the Brain Heenan, 
and whoever it was that Heenan was managing, whether it was Hercules, Ravishing Rick Rude, Andre the Giant, even Heenan himself, that seemed to be who the warrior was was wrestling with uh, in those early days. And I think there's, um, you know, Warrior probably suffers from, you know, we, we still see it today that you see a match that you think looks good on paper but the two wrestlers' styles just don't go together or they're too similar. It's, um, and I think that's what is what happened with the Warrior to begin with because his first main feud was with Hercules Hernandez who was never... You know, Hercules had a decent career. He was in WWF for, for a fairly long, long time but he was, you know, lower mid-card at best. I looked, you know, the two of them were too... Big body guys, still quite strapping, strapping guys, and <laughs> and uh, warrior. The initial thing is Hercules had this full Nelson. You know, some things never, never go old, do they? As we see the full Nelson coming back into fashion just now in the Warrior. I think it was the first guy to break Hercules' full Nelson challenge. Oh, really? I think he also broke Hercules' chain because Hercules just always carry a big chain to the ring with him. I think Warrior destroyed that as well. Yes, okay. yes, this is right. Yeah, I think they had a chain match sometime between their they had their, their first big match was at WrestleMania four, and yeah. then I think sometime between Warrior coming in in October eighty seven and March eighty eight, they had a chain match where he breaks his chain, which I think was like mental at the time. Like as you say, Hercules was a big deal at this time. Hercules. I think, if I remember correctly, Hercules has like the record for the most consecutive like WWF pay-per-views from like the start of WWF pay-per-views. I I, I don't know if I remember that exactly, but um, yeah, so it was it was huge for him to beat Hercules. And I actually watched that match back last night from WrestleMania Four. He beats Hercules, but he barely beats him. Like they both sort of collapse on the floor. And then it's like one, two, and then Warrior gets his arm up while Hercules gets counted three. So like you could, him beating a guy of Hercules' stature at that time was massive. And Hercules was the first sort of proper star that he he went against, if, if I remember right, because all his early matches were were really squash matches matches, and. Um, it, yeah, and he was he was getting really over the squash matches, but that was back in the day when you only had a couple of big events. So the big stars never came together all that often. So this was was really the Warriors' first uh, first feud. I mean, Chris, if you managed to stay awake during that WrestleMania four match, you done well <laughs> because um, you know they were you know the Hercules Warrior matches were proper slow paced power matches, lots of power moves, tests of strengths, things like that. Um, they weren't weren't the greatest matches. <laughs> the problem with the, uh, the problem with the warrior was it was just he looked great anyway. He came everything was brilliant before he was actually in the ring because he was just so limited. And he and as a person he didn't mind that because he there was someone about him where he was like he was traveling on his own. You know they say that he had a bit of an ego problem and you know it worked. You know he he ended up like having these small feuds and the next thing you know honky tonk man's been over a year as intercontinental champion he asked for a challenger and who is uh, at SummerSlam and who is it to answer the ultimate warrior and squashes him within two minutes uh, Chris uh, do you, what do you think of him getting the intercontinental championship because like, he's only been in the company over roughly just over a year and then they give him do you think he should have got it earlier or do you think it was like a good time 
I, I thought it was perfect. Like, I, I, the only thing about this whole thing which I think is a shame is the fact that Brutus the Barber Beefcake gets a bit screwed in the whole thing because he, I think, for whatever reason, I don't know if this was like kayfabe or shoot, but for whatever reason, he wasn't there that night. I know that on TV he'd been beaten up by Ron Bass. But I'm not sure <laughs> if he had a reason in real life for not being there or if they just always decided they were going to put the belt on Warrior. Um, but I love watching that match. Absolutely love it. I watched it back last night. It's just the intensity of him coming out, the crowd reaction. I think it's, honestly, I think it's the best non-Hogan crowd reaction that they have for like 10 years. Like the crowd are insane. Like he just comes in batters honky in like seconds and as you say two minutes into the match done new IC champion and just that moment is so so good the match didn't last as long the match didn't last two minutes guys 35 seconds was the match was that what it was that was all (laughs) honky didn't even get his jumpsuit off I mean the crowd Chris is right the crowd is mental it's worth watching that just for the fan reaction and the music starts and obviously this is back in the day this was Madison Square Garden they didn't have titantrons and so on and it, you know it took the crowd a, a couple you know it took the crowd a couple of seconds to realise who, who it was and then when he got in the ring and they realised oh what was happening here they were just they just loved it they went absolutely mental Honky's 15 month title reign he was he was unbeatable as that champion Um and this was a real statement and we'd seen, you know, we mentioned the Hercules feud wasn't the greatest, but when Warrior had, you know, he worked with Bobby Heenan, he worked with Rick Rude, he worked with Andre the Giant before he got here. Rude and Heenan were really good workers and they were able to help him through some of the match, particularly Rick Rude. But this was a real statement. This is when the Intercontinental title was a real sign. You know, this is when you were anointing the next the next big thing. Yeah, and I did move on to the next big thing as well, because a few months later, he's in the Royal Rumble. Him and Hogan are in the ring at the same time. And as you talk about crowd reactions, this is like Hogan, this is like Hogan and Warriors, like our generation of Austin and, and The Rock. You know, it's just like this big, big thing. And there was I, I was reading about it, and they said they didn't even have the idea to put them two together at WrestleMania, and then they teased that, and then they're like, "Yeah, this is this is where we're going to go." Um, Gary, do you remember this? Uh, you watched it back recently, where they're they're just in the ring, just having a face off at the Royal Rumble. Oh yeah, absolutely. This this was amazing. Um, you got this sense, you know, fans love both of them. But what one do you love more? Well, the kids love Warrior, and I think the adults loved Hogan a little bit more. Yeah. And again, there was never really any opportunity for these two guys to come in contact with one another up until now. They, you know, the segment in the Rumble, you know, they cleared house and then suddenly they turn around and everybody realises it's just the two of them left. And you've got, what, maybe 60 seconds. And the action in the ring is not great. We got some crisscrossing and, and so on, and eventually a double clothesline. But the fans went absolutely mental for it. And never has anybody been more disappointed to see the Barbarian as uh, as next when he came out and uh, he found the two of them in, in the ring. But, you know, they did very little, but they did enough to plant the seed. And uh, as you said, Andy, you know, the response they got validated it and gave WWE the, you know, the, the, the idea to run with. 
Yeah, what, what's your thoughts on this moment, Chris? The thing was, like, this had been building for a while. It Survivor Series in 1989, my like one month after I was born. Um, Warrior goes on last. Like, Warrior headlines the Survivor Series. He's the sole survivor on his team, which I think, again, might be wrong, is the first pay-per-view which the WWF have, which doesn't end on Hogan. Like, that's how much they were, like, behind this guy at this time. So, he goes from... Obviously, there's the bit in 1989, which we don't even need to talk about, because I feel like it was, like, a pure coffee cup in the history of wrestling. But he goes from losing the belt to Rick Rude to winning the belt back, last man in Survivor Series, the huge moment at Royal Rumble, and then, boom, WrestleMania 6 is upon us. Like, he gets absolutely strapped to a rocket over the course of what August to April and it must have been like I can't imagine being like five years old at this time and just how absolutely mental it would have been it's like yeah. they've they've done this a couple of times since and it just shows you how great it is like look at Royal Rumble in 2001 when The Rock and Austin suddenly look at each other from the opposite sides of the ring or look at when you know around one of the first drafts when you know, peak Eddie Guerrero has that brilliant match with peak Triple H. It's like these things never happen, and this time it did. And this was the very first time it happened. It was just so cool to watch. Was well, it to quote the Warrior? It's like load the rocket fuel, load it with the Warriors, and that's essentially what McMahon done. He just saw, like I think, because obviously Hulk Hogan was always he was beating the next big bad guy at the next pay per view. But yeah, he. Hogan comes out and offers the ultimate challenge, Intercontinental Champion versus World Wrestling Federation Champion. I loved, I just love the whole World Wrestling Federation, so I'm just going to keep saying it until we change over to WWE. And yeah, you've just got this big, it's almost like Batman versus Superman. So you've got these two big good guys. And I still remember, I think that was how I fell in love with wrestling. I remember seeing the VHS cover and you've got these two like just monsters of men just like like facing off and it's just the ultimate challenge um the the build-up is is interesting because you've got because it's that old style of promo where they're kind of just on their own and they do it and then they have like a conference where you've got the president uh what's his name i forgot his name jack tunney jack <laughs> tunney jack tunney jack there and officiating it and it's just like at the time, I, I can't. That is a big WrestleMania. Like, like, what did you? Do you guys remember the build-up at all, or did you just, like check it in preparation for this episode? It's my my memory of it is that the the preparation, the build to the match was was very limited. They, I don't really recall them having any physical alterations because there wasn't really that many opportunities to do so and I don't think they really needed to do to do all that much. Um but it was so unique, you know, at this point WrestleMania six, we'd never had never had a champion versus champion title for title match. And and we never had a main event that was babyface versus babyface. And it was entirely different for Hogan because as you said Andy, Hogan was in this, you know, bad guy of the week mode. Um so for him to go up against the the warrior in this way, this was a you know a real sh- shifting gears for Hogan. Yeah, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, the the angle as well, Chris. So, someone actually pointed out to me that if you go and watch WrestleMania Six on the network, the the promo package 
that aired during WrestleMania 6 ahead of the match isn't actually on the network version. So All then right. someone showed me the brilliant promo package that airs before the match on YouTube. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so freaking excited for this match. I think I watched this match for the first time maybe like 10 years ago. And it's just everything from the Royal Rumble through to WrestleMania 6. Like, obviously, as you said, like, not a lot happens. Like, I think as far as I know, they basically came out of the Rumble. Hogan wins the Rumble, obviously, which makes absolutely no sense for, you know, we need another podcast to discuss that. But he wins the Rumble and he basically challenges Warrior. And then they basically just go about their own business. It's so it's so strange. Like, Warrior went back to fighting Mr. Perfect for the IC title over the next run of, you know, whatever TV shows they had at the time. And Hogan went back to fighting Earthquake for a little while. And it was only once they got to WrestleMania 6, they were like, right, back to us two now. Um, and the match itself, like, obviously the match isn't spectacular because as we know, both wrestlers are not fantastic. <laughs> and I don't think that's no. news to anyone. But the match itself was still absolutely excellent in my opinion like the crowd are ecstatic for warrior he like holds off all of the hogan moves he holds off the hulk up he escapes the big leg he hits hogan with his big running splash and oh my god hulk hogan has actually been beaten it was so crazy to watch and i don't know what you guys think but for me personally i think that at this time it was right for the ultimate warrior to win like as you said, Hogan did not put anyone over at any time. And this was the right time for it to happen. We were multiple years into Hulkamania now with no star on the horizon. Why not make it Warrior? And yeah, what came afterwards didn't go spectacularly. But this this moment was the best thing they could have done. Absolutely. absolutely. Can I ask you guys a couple? Andy, I know you're hosting. Can I ask a, a question, though? Does anybody yeah, remember? Anybody know how long this match lasted? I've got it in front of me. It was. Oh. It was. Uh, I know. I know. I've got it in front of me as well. So don't, <laughs> Chris, don't cheat, Quacko. How long did the match last? Well, you're asking. Uh, let's go for three minutes sixteen seconds. Why not? <laughs> Twenty-two minutes fifty-one seconds. Oh my god! The it second, the second longest match at this WrestleMania was Ted DiBiase and Jake the Snake Roberts, two incredible workers who got eleven minutes fifty seconds. Yeah, there were uh, fifteen matches on the show, and people only came to see this one match. Also, uh, Chris, you mentioned about it not being a great match, and technically it wasn't. I mean, the atmosphere made it special, but. Anybody be surprised if I told you it was actually Pro Wrestling Illustrated's match of the year. In 1990, no. <laughs> uh, I like that. I do like that. I see. Uh, Jason Powell said, uh, "Quote here: A truly amazing match, considering the limitation of both men." Because let's say the Warrior didn't really know much, so it was up to Hogan to actually control the match. I think a lot of people forget, like Hogan can be a good worker, he just sometimes chooses not to, and in this opportunity, he had to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He, he, he made. Ultimate Warrior looked like the next guy, but he did kick out at three. He sort of a little bit after three, so it was almost like his way of kind of staying face. It's like, oh, he beat me, but just by a little bit. And uh, then he goes out was, the ring. Uh, that was sneaky. Yeah. 
Uh, but we all know what Hogan's like. And he goes out the ring, he grabs a title, hands it over, shakes his hand, and then leaves the warrior to be in the ring. Which I remember, I can't remember where he said it, but Hogan says that he cut an audible and he went out and done that. So you're not thinking about the warrior, you're still thinking about Hulk Hogan when he leaves the building. And this is a sort of a precursor to like warriors run with the belt because it like it's not very memorable he like has the title for a year before he loses it and then next year at mania it's hogan's in the main event again yeah it's very strange like this should have been the setup for warrior being at the top of the card for a long time but there were so many factors which led to that not working out which i don't think are all warriors fault i mean i can't defend him too much a lot of it was his fault but there was aspects of it which wasn't and uh I think Hogan had a lot to do with that. Terrible booking had a lot to do with that. General downturn in wrestling maybe had a bit to do with it as well, maybe. Because mm, the the matches he had, like he had like some, you know, he defended the title against some good opponents, like Mister Perfect. Um, I had this right there. Rick Rude, I think yeah. I think that was his problem. Uh, to Chris's point, is Warrior won the title, but nobody really thought. Or it looks like nobody thought about what's next. And his first big yeah. title feud, I mean, he had a little mini feud with Ted DiBiase, um, which led to the match at Saturday night's main event. But he's, the big feud that he went on to was against Rick Rude. And we'd seen that uh, before. So uh, he didn't really move into something fresh. Uh, and it, I, I think he, he, he was hurt by his first feud being an old feud, which we'd seen, we'd all seen before. And I think the problem is as well when you've got a, a, a sort of wrestler that's that limited, it's like it's good to see him chase the title, but once they become the champion, there's almost so much like more that they have to deliver. So when they don't, because look at the turnaround with John Cena. John Cena was this like beloved kind of anti-hero, and what, as soon as he gets the title on him, everyone started to realise how limited he was. And there wasn't really much of a smart crowd back in eighty, uh, late eighties, early nineties. But you know, it's still president. It's like this guy can only come out, and he can't really. What he always does is close lines and runs against the ropes, and and it's just a case of how does this man run with the title? And I think the the year, the financial year, wasn't that great for WWE at the time when he was when he was on top. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a number of reasons. I mean, if you look, like, WrestleMania 6 was at the Sky Dome in Toronto, so a big arena, and WrestleMania 7 ends up having to be moved from a big arena to a, a small stadium, uh, less than 20,000 people. I can't remember the exact figure. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that, uh, and WWE spins this line about having to move it for safety reasons because somebody might try and take out Sergeant Slaughter, the Iraqi sympathiser, but that was because, you know, tickets weren't shifting yeah. um, for it. It's mental um, as well because, like, see WrestleMania 7. Right, WrestleMania 7 was originally supposed to be in uh, the Los Angeles Memorial yeah. Coliseum, right, which is a current NFL stadium, right? And it holds, like, I would say in the re- I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I'd say it's in the region of like eighty thousand, right? And that's insanity. Hogan, Andre, Hogan, Savage couldn't have sold that, and they had, you know, some combination of the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, and Sergeant Slaughter trying to do it. Like the fact that they even booked that venue in the first place, I think, is madness. Like the NFL team that played there couldn't sell that stadium out. So it's it's mental they even attempted this. 
Yeah, um, sixteen, just over sixteen thousand people is the published attendance for for that WrestleMania. Um, so it's a big, big downturn on on the year before, isn't it? Or the of the sixty thousand attended. But as you were saying, it was like the Sergeant Slaughter has become the Nazi sympathizer. They meet at Royal Rumble. Iraqi sympathizer. Um, what did that say? Nazi. <laughs> Nazi. Ah, sorry. Don't know where I was going with that. Uh, Iraqi sympathizer, sorry. That would have been an angle if he was Nazi. Anyways, uh, as he's in the match, Randy Savage interferes, hits him with the. Uh, that was brutal. Yeah. The sector. That was absolutely <laughs> brutal. Yeah. I that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched it back and it is quite, he sells it quite well. Maybe it's probably because he got hit in the head with a scepter. <laughs> and that sets up the the match, which is probably Warrior's best match because he's in the ring with a technician like Randy Savage and it's the retirement match at WrestleMania 7. Have you guys watched this match? Yes. yes I watched it, uh, I've watched it a few times now and I wholeheartedly agree with you that it is Ultimate Warrior's best match. Uh, WrestleMania 7, he absolutely batters Randy Savage in this match. And Randy Savage just sells the whole thing. The ending of the match is just brilliant. It's just Ultimate Warrior hitting Randy Savage with spear after spear after spear. Every time he hits him with a spear, Randy Savage is so impacted that he rolls out the ring until eventually Warrior just drags him back in and he pins him with one foot on his chest. Imagine doing that to Randy Savage. This is like... He's either the second biggest or the third biggest guy in wrestling at this time. And I feel like even after the title run is, you know, kind of gone to hell, like this put Warrior over massive again. Like Vince just couldn't stop himself with Warrior. He constantly was just like, ah, well, Ultimate Warrior is amazing. Let's do this. And uh, yeah, again, I feel like it just made the Ultimate Warrior look like such a huge deal. Savage did what Hogan couldn't do the year or wouldn't do the year before, and he put Warrior over. And you know, there was no doubt who was the star of that match. These two, Savage and and Warrior, had amazing chemistry. And you know, when Warrior has worked with somebody that can lead him through a match, he has had he has had good matches. In that what uh, in those ones, but this was this was a really emotional match as well. I don't remember a career versus career match at that time. Yeah, I don't remember a career versus career match. Or certainly, they didn't happen all that often. It's not like now that you know. Oh well, they'll be back in a few, you know in six months. You know this felt and in this case, Macho Man was back within six months. <laughs> it felt like it felt like a big deal. But this was also you know a really emotional match, but also a really long match. Twenty minutes forty seven seconds. That's two WrestleManias in a row that this guy that everybody says gets gassed and can't work. Goes 20, oh, 20, over 20 minutes in the match. Also, it just shows you that people can lose and still go over. Like, Randy Savage gets done in, and then you have everything that happens with Miss Elizabeth and uh, Sensational Sherry, and Savage comes out looking like an absolute hero. So it's like, maybe somebody could tell that to wrestlers in 2020, that if someone was to just lose normally... That it would actually be pretty great, like because what was it? It was five elbow drops, didn't it? He done to Ultimate Warrior, and Ultimate Warrior still kicked out. Yeah, and yeah, that match so was so well put together. <laughs> we need a whole show yeah. to talk about that match. It was fantastic. No, it, it was fantastic. 
No, it's definitely one of the greats that it doesn't really get talked about as much. Uh, but I think everyone remembers the, the moment after where uh, Savage uh, reunites with Miss Elizabeth. And you kind of forget about the whole the match that came before it. But no, it was definitely a, a good sort Does of match. Does anybody remember the match that came before it? Um, well, the match on the show. Yeah, it was The Undertaker's WrestleMania debut. Oh, really? Jimmy Snooker. Jimmy Snooker, yeah, of course. <laughs> Less said about him, the better. <laughs> Anyways, uh, okay, swiftly moving on. Uh, so, essentially, that's it. This match doesn't really get talked about uh, as often, and it is a good thing. But a few months later, uh, Ultimate Warrior just feels like he's deserving. There's like some sort of controversy about what happens to him at SummerSlam, where it's like he held McMahon up for money, and it was was he in the, the right or wrong? But essentially, he goes out, he has the match, uh, he's tagging with Hogan, and he comes backstage and then he gets his walking paper saying that he's uh, suspended uh, for holding up McMahon for money. Um, do you, what do you guys remember about this? Are you guys, like, what do you use? What's your thoughts on it? I'll start with uh, Chris first. So I didn't, I honestly didn't know much about it. I'd heard about it through that DVD when I was younger, but I didn't really know the full story until like the last few years and I sat down last night and I wrote it all down um, and I thought we'd just dive through it. So July 10th, 1991, he sends that letter to Vince, as you said, he's got some pretty hefty demands. He wants a back payment of $550,000 for WrestleMania 7 against Randy Savage. He wants four days off basically every like two weeks and he wants the same money as Hogan and Vince just absolutely bricks it three days later he's just like yeah yeah you, whatever whatever just come back for SummerSlam so they come back he comes back for SummerSlam he has this really strange match tagging with Hulk Hogan against uh, Sergeant Slaughter Iron Sheik and General Adnan Water gets kind of forgotten about like the whole story of the match is like will Sid Justice side with the bad guys because Sid Justice was the referee the match ends with Warrior just running to the back and uh, Hogan finishes the match and Hogan takes all the praise and then the same day Vince gives a letter to Warrior saying oh by the way you're suspended and see all the stuff we agreed to in July that was made under duress so it's not legally binding go and F yourself so <laughs> it was this mental like month six weeks in Warrior's career and the WWF as well that like it's mental because you would never even have known this if you're a wrestling fan. It, none of this would have came out at the time and it was a mental period of time. But then, what, six months later, WrestleMania 8, oh, there he is, he's back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this yeah, SummerSlam is uh, one of my favourites. I love this SummerSlam. Uh, Bret Hart, my, one of my heroes, beats Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship isn't it, at this one and it's in Madison Square Garden it's a really hot hot crowd you had the match made in heaven and the match made in hell and the, I think probably one of the few if not only weddings in WWE history that didn't involve somebody going into the wedding cake in the <laughs> ring um, so that's, uh, that's something else but this match I was dead excited about this Hogan and Warrior, the two of them versus the Triangle of Terror and um, the story on the, that Chris outlined is very different to the story that WWF 
WWE gives, and particularly the story they put out on the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, mm-hmm. where they where they uh, omit to mention the letters and the discussions in July, and be, and say that Warrior was holding them up for money on the night. Pay me now, or I'm not going to walk through the curtain. And McMahon says that he honoured that agreement on that DVD. Um, so a really different story. Clearly something was going on that led to the Warrior feeling rightly or wrongly that his remuneration was what it should be. And uh, the relationship went downhill so much so that on this DVD, Vince says that he could wait to fire the Ultimate Warrior when he came back through the curtain. Yeah. It was just a very controversial way because then he disappears. And we'll talk about his return after the break. Uh, during the break, we're going to hear uh, the ESSR family talk about the draft as well as a compilation of the Ultimate Warrior's greatest uh, promos. So we'll be back in about five minutes. Hello, my name's Jack Graham. Hello, my name's Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. You can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasting, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to see who on the podcast has the best chance of winning the latest season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on the Suplex Retweet Extra feed on your preferred podcasting platform. I was sitting at Capitol from a place long from here, and I came here for one reason to attack and keep coming. Not to ask, but just to give. Not to want, but just to send. Send the power of water down everybody's throat in the WWE till I become sick of it. Well, you're gonna get sick of it because this freaking nature right here is just beginning to swell. And when I get big enough, brother, there ain't gonna be room for anybody else but me and all the warriors floating through the veins and the power of the warrior. How must I prepare? You must ask yourself, should I jump up the tallest building in the world? Should I lay on the lot and let him run over me with lawnmowers? Should I go to Africa and let him trouble me with raging elephants? Ah, you can feel it, too! You can feel it! Load the spaceship with the rocket fuel. Load it with the warriors. In my final meeting with the gods from the heavens above, as they spoke to me and hit me with the power of the ultimate warrior, they told me, exit stage left, exit stage right. There is no place to run. All the fuses and the exit signs have been burned out. With the command of my voice, I raised the level of the worst to one that can't be reproduced. Dig your claws into my organs. Stretch into my tendons. Bury your anchors into my bones. For the power of the warrior will always prevail. Family that I live for only breathes the air that smells of combat. With or without the face paint, I am the ultimate warrior. Ah, the heavens have opened up from above, and the warriors have spoken. You felt the power that makes the skies rumble and the earth shake. Come on in, we're nightmares on the best part of my day. I live for anger and frustration. Combat is where we'll be. I look above to the gods, and when you fall below the skeletons of the warriors' past, the power of the warriors will become the eighth wonder of the world! 
Normal people, the people that walk the streets every day, we cannot understand. Now you must deal with the creation of all the unpleasantries in the entire universe. As I feel the injection from the gods above, I only know that the ultimate warrior is totally out of control. Take the two pilots that have already made the sacrifice. Shove that control into a nosedive, Hulk Hogan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And welcome back. Uh, we just had a compilation of the Ultimate Warriors' greatest promos. Uh, great in some sort. It doesn't mean they're, they're the best, but they are definitely interesting and worth a listen. We're back with my panel, Chris and Gary and Quacker. We just talked about the highs of the Ultimate Warriors' career. Now we're going to start talking about the lows. And as we said before the break, he was suspended at SummerSlam. It comes to WrestleMania 8. Hogan's in the ring. He's against Justice. There's a leg drop, Sid Justice kicks out, Papa Shango shows up, and whose music do we hear? Chris, do you want to run this down, this uh, epic return? Oh my god, this was so good as well. Like, how does he keep doing this? He's terrible. How does he keep drawing us in like this? But yeah, WrestleMania 8, April 5th, 1992. Uh, As you said, Hogan's just getting battered by Sid Justice, Papa Shango. WrestleMania ends on a disqualification. Let's not do that again for another 20 years. Um, and uh, yeah, as soon as the music hits, the arena goes insane. And there he is, Ultimate Warrior, belting it down to the ring to save Hulk Hogan. Of just course. To quote, oh, sorry, just to quote uh, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, this place is going bananas. It's it's absolutely excellent. He, I think he does a clothesline. Papa Shango out the ring but Sid Justice is already out the ring and he's just like ah, I'm not getting back in there and uh, I think at one point he gets hit by a chair and then just sort of does his rope shake and just doesn't even really feel it and I feel like do you know what they should have done here they should have had a massive embrace like Hogan and Warrior should have had a massive hug that was just like a representation of the crowd almost when instead like Warrior just gets up on a corner and Hogan just goes over to the other side of the ring and he's kind of pointing and he's like, ah, look at that guy. Like, if they made this a huge deal as in, if they both like hugged and it was like, oh my God, he's back. I feel like that would have been a better embodiment of how the fans felt. Probably Hogan when he was pointing out was like, who is this guy? Because as we all know about the myth, was this, the, <laughs> this was a replacement Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Gary, what was your thoughts on this return? It was completely surprising. And of course, we're in the era then with... Uh, Rumours were not uh, as easily circulated, so there was no real hint that the Warrior was coming back. Certainly not to me as a, as a young kid at the time that the Warrior was coming back, so hugely surprised about it. As Chris said, the pop was incredible. The Warrior did look different. His physique was, a, you know, he was still ripped, but just maybe not just as much. He had a different haircut, which led into this... Uh, Look, but Warrior had always in his career, he'd always changed the colour of his face paint and always changed the colour of his his tights and his tassels. So he had a slightly different look 
as far as his ring gear was concerned, but he, he did that quite often. He wasn't away for long, so he wasn't away for long enough for people to forget who he was. But what you know, he left in August was back in April. Um, so fans, uh, you know, remembered who he was. I don't think we ever got an explanation as to why he saved Hulk Hogan, um, which was probably missing, and then led us in maybe helped lead us into this period of his career where um, I think the rest of 1992, he was probably 93, he was probably just a wee bit directionalist mm-hmm. so he, 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 what he went on to do next you know, again, like, like the title win at WrestleMania 6, big moment and then the follow up, in this instance the follow up with Papa Shango was a was a wee bit, wee bit weird. Yeah I feel like <laughs> This whole period of wrestling suffered from the fact that WWF just suddenly lost hundreds of guys. Like, after this WrestleMania, isn't this when Jake leaves, Ric Flair leaves, and Hulk Hogan all leave? So all of these planned out storylines that they had good to go were all just like, boop, they're all gone. And um, as well as this, I think Sid Justice left as well, so your WrestleMania main event is both now gone. I think that's how... Um, Warrior ended up feuding with Papa Shango next because they're like, oh, well, there's nobody else left from that main event, so we'll have to just do this. Yeah, it was like after because the idea of him getting brought back was that eventually he'd become the the world champion again, but as we know, it, it didn't happen. Essentially, he was in he was thrown into some weird, uh, a weird sort of feud with Papa Shango where he's getting interviewed and the next thing <laughs> his face starts bleeding and the promo there's Ultimate Warriors and it's just kind of it's a bit embarrassing to be fair when you look back Wait, you know he also had a feud with like Jake the Snake Roberts and Undertaker but it's like it's kind of it's like a sort of flash in the pan like you can't no one really remembers this return because it was like so short and then before we know it he's out yeah. the door again and well, due to uh, McMahon accusing them of uh, well, obviously the whole steroid sort of like things happening there around this time, and obviously looking at the Ultimate Warrior, you can tell he's on something. And I think he was quite offended by that, and he started to mistake. So yeah, they came to a conclusion again where he, he was out the building. And uh, could we just say a word about that Jake the Snake Undertaker yeah, yeah, feud? Because it's so weird. It feels like it needs to be said. So. I remember reading about all the shenanigans that happened here in my monthly copy of the WWF magazine. Uh, I don't even remember it happening on the telly and then got it. I was like, what, what the hell is Jake up to? Because Jake was like the number, maybe number three baby face at this time. He was, uh, you know, he was maybe number four behind Hogan, Warrior, Savage. He was, he was one of the top stars and then he, t- he had a short-lived heel turn. But the feud between Jake and the Warrior and Undertaker, I don't remember it actually leading to any matches at this point, but the uh, Warrior was in the funeral parlour, gets put into a casket, he's taken away, and Jake offers to help the Warrior and sets up some tests to help the Warrior confront his fears. So he had three mm. tests. One was that he got put into a coffin, and Jake just kept saying to the Warrior, trust me, which became one of his trademarks. He then buries him in dirt and leaves just his head sticking above the, the ground. And then the third test is he goes into a dark room, which then turns out to be full of snakes and he gets bit by snakes. And 
Ewok comes out the room and it turns out that Jake was in cahoots with Undertaker and Paul Bearer and the bad guys were all there. It was just, you know, if this happened today, the internet would probably melt over it. Yeah, um, probably, yeah. It was just weird. <laughs> it's so funny hearing you, like, like take us back through that. That whole thing was amazing. Like, see if anyone's not watched those three you know, trials that Warrior goes through. Like, it was so well done. Even, like, do you know what? It's actually not a million miles from the Undertaker-AJ Styles match. Like, that was definitely inspired by this. Like, when he's in the pit of the snakes and the camera goes all fuzzy because he's been bit and his vision's blurring up and then he looks up and he just sees Undertaker and Jake standing next to each other and everyone's like, oh my God, Jake's a bad guy. It's, it's so well done. As you said, doesn't lead to anything <laughs> like warrior's no. gone again before they can have a match but oh it was it was absolutely excellent was well, i kind of realized as well actually this was actually before he, he first left but the, the sort of it's very similar to the bank papa shango feud so it's kind of you, you just, like that's the problem with uh the warriors sort of after you just you like the dates all get mixed up in, in a way so you just all of these weird feuds just seem to be oh that must have definitely one after the other yeah, he did go. Uh, yeah. He did go from these weird feuds, and none of them really had any conclusion to them. And I remember at this period, him finding himself in the main event or the sort of semi-main event SummerSlam at Wembley Stadium against Macho Man, and that just, you know, came to, for me at least came a wee bit out of the blue. And you had this weird bit about well, who is Mister Perfect going to side with, and it turns out to be nobody. Um, but yeah, it just felt like a really directionless period. Papa Shango, the return to the Macho Man, which should have been a bigger deal, and you know this the shenanigans with Jake and the Undertaker. It's funny you say that. I had that exact thing written down: the SummerSlam 1992 from Wembley Stadium, title match with Randy Savage. That should have been the first big match of the post Hogan era. Like they could have easily put the belt back on Warrior at that point WWF would have been in a completely different direction but they ended up going in a completely different direction um, and obviously the lasting memory of that is he saves Randy Savage from being attacked by Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect and then we get the ultimate maniacs for like 10 minutes but then that doesn't ever happen either Oh man they, they teased us so much at this point with so many different things which could have happened but didn't well they say the problem is with the warriors like we're obviously talking about a lot of the the good things but it's like the man was apparently like uh, to quote jr he said he was a pain in the ass as soon as he came into the company and yeah like looking at the guy he did have an ego problem i think he was just like he he did have issues and as you said it's like there's all these like big teases teases coming in and nothing ever came of it yeah, he's and, he's he's guilty of the same thing that a lot of wrestlers are guilty of of not being able to separate the character from the person, and you know if they wanted to do this, you know if he was to lose a match, you know oh that doesn't fit with my my character, uh, he took it, uh, and the fact that he then went on to change his name speaks volumes of how much he took it, how seriously he took it. Sorry. Yeah. I know, and then after this, he's uh, after this uh, short return, he's uh, semi-retired for a few years, and then come 1996, WrestleMania 12, there's a match with uh, Triple H at the time, just Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and oh my God, this is it's again a lot of people were kind of on their feet for the return, 
but he's this is like close to the attitude Aaron is like do we really need Warrior returning we're still a good pop but uh, Gary what, what is your thought have, have you seen the match against uh, Triple H at yeah. uh, Wrestlemania so this match uh, this Wrestlemania stands out for me for a couple of reasons um, I, we had just got for the first time ever got Sky TV in the house so I was able to watch this Mania uh, I was super excited about it. I loved the the return of the Ultimate Warrior here. I was super excited about it, and I actually loved this match. It was a classic Warrior. Um, you know, when you look back on it and you see that he, he no sells the pedigree. And Triple H at this time was a hunter for Sims. Like, so he was unbeaten and he gets completely jobbed out uh, quickly um, of it all. But yeah, I just I loved. You know, as a fan, you know, proper fanboy, I loved loved the match for those reasons. Um, the WWF business was down here, and they did need some stars. And I can see, I can absolutely see why, despite what happened the previous two times, why Vince decided to try this a third time. But like the return after WrestleMania eight, the return after WrestleMania twelve was somewhat lacklustre and was over very quickly. Yeah, so this is the same year as like Austin winning the King of the Ring. And during this time, they were, they're having Triple H uh, eyed up to win uh, the King of the Ring. So yeah, what's your thoughts on this match, Chris, in the no set on the pedigree? Yeah, I, I remember that really, really vividly. And I'm one of these people that hates that at any period of wrestling. Like, if, if, if you take a finisher, you take a finisher. But yeah, that, that match, as I said right at the start, that's the first Ultimate Warrior match that I ever saw. Um, the match is over really quickly, but you can tell straight away that the crowd is so different. Like, on commentary, Jerry Lawler actually says, did you hear how silent they went when uh, Triple H... I'm just going to call him Triple H. Um, when Triple H hits Warrior with a punch for the first time, Jerry Lawler's like, oh, the crowd have gone so silent. And I'm like, no, the crowd are silent because they're not that excited for Warrior being here. And I actually read last night how like decent his contract was as well. Mm-hmm. So he was, at this time, he signed a contract that was a guaranteed $1 million for 18 months from, you know, starting from WrestleMania 12. And if he worked more than 14 days in a month, right? So what's that? Like a working month is like, what, 25 days? So if he works like half of a normal working month, he would get paid $2,500 for each additional day. Like that's astronomical money for 1996. Like the company's in the toilet. Like, (laughs) and they bring Warrior back for for this amount of money. And obviously, like obviously this was never going to last I think the contract gets like null and voided two months later or something like that yeah four months later he was out the door um, <laughs> and certainly they didn't it certainly didn't get value for money here because uh, after this we have In Your House Good Friends Better Enemies where he wrestles Goldust in a really weird match for the IC title he's then not on the next card uh, on the main card he fights a, wrestles in a dark match with Owen Hart believe it or not and then he has another you know poor match with Jerry the King Lawler at King of the Ring and then he was supposed to be in a six man tag in your house at the National Incident but he never break, makes it there because he no shows some house shows so he's out the door in August four months later mental 
the match he was supposed to take in where it was him, Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson as the people's posse, there was a very interesting promo and it's, a, it's quite a weird thing to know that you've got the Ultimate Warrior with his intense promos and you've got Ahmed Johnson with his just weird, like, can't really understand what he's saying promos and the same sort of thing. Gary, like, I was... I was too young at this point. I did not know what was going on. But see you as like a wrestling fan. Like one, what was the the story of Warrior actually coming back at WrestleMania 12? Was it just like, oh, Triple H is going to fight someday? We don't know who it is. Or was did they know in advance that it was going to be Warrior? Was it promoted in the run up to the WrestleMania? Or because I, I I can't find. I've never really watched any of the build up to this. I've just seen his return. Yeah. My memory of it, Chris, is that on Raw they announce that the rumours of the Ultimate Warrior return are true. The Ultimate Warrior is returning to action, as Vincent Man used to say all the time, at WrestleMania 12. And then it then led on to who's the opponent going to be, and then it was just announced that it was going to be Triple H. So the build-up to it was was fairly nonchalant. It was not the most creative. There was some, you know, Triple H promos that followed about how he's got, I think he was going to end the Legend of the Ultimate Warrior. But that was really it. It just got announced one day. The Warriors cut, you know, on Raw. Warriors coming back, and then who's the opponent going to be? Ah, that's really weird. Uh, I guess uh, fair enough. That was a big thing around the sort of mid-90s where they just kind of were like, oh, this pay-per-view's coming up and we're going to do this match. And then they would build the storyline to the match. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's all very strange. Did, that happened uh, just, a lot in this period. Just before we, we go on to what we're going to talk about next, do you guys know about the December 1997 offer that Vince gave Warrior? No, I don't know about that. So I found this out like last night and I wrote it down because I, I really wanted to see what you guys thought about this. So December 1997 doesn't really jump out at me massively until you realize it's a month after the Montreal Screwjob where Brett is effectively, well, I mean to <laughs> you know massively sweep over the details, Brett Hart leaves the WWF over money. So on the 17th of December, Vince wrote a letter to Ultimate Warrior saying, Hey, how about this contract? Listen to this. Five years at a guaranteed $750,000 a year, plus royalties, which was 35% of his merchandise when every other talent on the roster was getting 25%, and a maximum of 14 days work per month. Like for 1997, that is astronomical money. That sounds almost to the ultimate war. Yeah, it's, uh, it would be a bit mad. It would be a bit of an alternative universe if the ultimate warrior was a part of the attitude era. It would just, I don't know how it would work. We would have never got the WCW rings uh, runs, so thank God he never took it. Yeah, to be fair, and we're going to move on to that, the WCW run, where Hogan's in the ring, NWO Hogan, and he mentions, uh, I, I can't remember it verbatim, even though I watched it today, but he does mention that no warrior has ever beaten him before, and then in comes in the Ultimate Warrior, who cuts a unbroken 15-minute promo, which kind of, when he returned, it was quite exciting, 
but then his promo actually turned that around and no one was excited anymore. And yeah, he had this weird sort of run in WCW where it was, in his uh, sort of point of view, he reckoned he was only brought in just so that Hogan can get his win back. Uh, but then he was watching WCW at this time and remember this, or do you just have you just looked back in the back catalogue and just sort of saw this like pop up during the 1998s? I, mean, I was watching it on and off because I was caught between the shows on a Friday evening and my memory was that was just really weird I mean even watching the back's weird because the warrior you know things that made the warrior were you know his his entrance his appearance and yet here he comes out in nitro to uh, obviously different music but he's wearing jeans I'd never seen the warrior wear jeans before <laughs> and and then some of the weird things the bat signal do you remember the bat signal they had for the warrior <laughs> um, he kidnapped Brutus the Barber beefcake didn't he or the sipo as he was then as well he could appear in mirrors and he could disappear through trap doors in the ring it was just weird yeah him returning yeah the yeah i remember the ultimate warrior bat signal because he was uh basically channeling batman uh 19 uh, the 60s batman where he said same warrior time same warrior channel which is yeah, one warrior nation wasn't it he was his uh his brand at the time it was yeah. trying to show stuff for I was going to say, um, the match at Halloween Havoc was all types of wrong. Yeah, it's like if that um, was if that was like one of the matches of the year when they fought each other at WrestleMania, and then this is definitely one of the worst matches of the decade. Uh, but yeah, uh, Chris, uh, have you got any sort of take on uh, Warriors run at this time before we get into the Hogan match? I think it's terrible for every possible reason. Like, uh... I watched the entrance back last night and I must say I was a little bit like, hey, that's pretty cool. But all of the things you love about the Ultimate Warrior are gone. Like, face paint's not really great. The music is gone. The jeans, how can we forget the jeans? Like, that's terrible. And it's not even him. Like, he effectively, not him personally, I'm sure, but his return to WC, or his return to wrestling helped end the career of the British Bulldog because of course he comes up through the ring during the uh, Fall Brawl War Games match I think in 98 or 97 um, and that yeah. yeah and that trap door of course when it was in the ring uh, the British Bulldog was dropped on it injured his back which effectively ended his career well it took a while but it effectively ended his career and it's just like there was just so much wrong with this run I don't think anyone remembers anything about it really fondly I think the 15 seconds after he gets in the ring and says speak to me warriors that should have been it he should have just got back out the ring left the ring and see you in 2014 for the Hall of Fame <laughs> well that's the thing when you say you mentioned about the trap door it's like no one knew that there was going to be a trap door there and yeah Brit uh, British Bulldog was slammed on it and he ended up having a dependency on pain medication which you know shortened his life and yeah he come back and he only had three matches he had the war games match uh where he came out the trap door and uh apparently that was just like one of the worst sort of matches ever as well uh there was a tag team match with him and sting reuniting the uh, blade runners and against bret hart and hulk hogan you could say it's a dream match but all it was was sting in the ring and hulk and and ultimate warriors just standing on the ring ropes like taunting and yeah and then there's the infamous 
uh, Halloween Havoc match between the Warrior and Hogan, and it's just oh, it's just terrible. It's it, it just like uh, like just goes to show how much has changed since uh, WrestleMania six. But Gary, have you seen this match? Have you got any like comments on it? Oh, it was. If if you didn't know better, you would have thought these were two people having their first ever wrestling match. You could easily believe it was you know two trainees, not two supposedly seasoned pros. They they couldn't even uh, you know run the ropes with one another. It was all sorts of calamity for it. It was just absolutely horrendous. And I, they did very little. You know, Hogan pulled out this sort of, do you remember he pulled the flash paper out of his pants? <laughs> he couldn't even light yeah. a bit of paper. And Horace Hogan, uh, the, the finish of the match was Horace Hogan, of all people, hitting the Warrior with one of the, the worst chair shots that you'll ever see to finish the match. It was, you, they couldn't even get a finish of it right. I mean, you could have. Yeah. I suppose you could understand that you know WCW at the time had a lot of poor main events following some really stacked undercards, so you could understand these two guys being past their prime, not being able to put on the greatest match in the world, but at least you know have a a decent finish. Uh, Chris, have you got any? What's your thoughts on the, the match and the uh, paper flash finish that was supposed to be that never happened because Hogan lit the, the paper too quick. Yeah, I mean, everything Everything is bad about this match, much like the whole run. He burns his own eyebrows off. The finish is a chair shot to the back. I hated it. I, it was such a... It, what's annoying is, wrestling historians in decades to come, this match will taint the WrestleMania match because they'll get brought up at the same time. And I hope that somehow in the future of wrestling we can just forget this ever even happened. Because WCW was good for a lot of things, but this was one thing that they got spectacularly wrong. Yeah, and as we know, as soon as the match finishes, uh, Hogan came, not Hogan, uh, Ultimate Warrior came back, done a promo on Nitro, and then he was never seen again. We only had one other match after that. Uh, You brought this up before, like before we recorded the podcast, Chris, but do you remember who the uh, opponent was his uh, next match and his uh, the Ultimate Warriors last of a match so I got quite into this promotion for a while which is dead weird because there was nothing going on in it um, <laughs> it was NWE New Wrestling Evolution I think they were based out of Spain or something because they held events in Barcelona in, yeah they held events in Barcelona and just all, all over that kind of place they had a really good wrestler who I really wanted to go somewhere called the Black Pearl who is part of the Rock's family tree. I could not tell you what branch he is, but he's in there somewhere. He was dead good. Not heard from him in a while. But in this fed, Orlando Jordan was the man who was the champion and he was beat by a short-haired Ultimate Warrior for the belt. And I was like, oh my god, is he coming back? But no, sadly, I think he vacates the belt like two minutes later. (laughs) But it was a good match. It was entertaining to watch, I think. I've not watched it in about ten years. (laughs) Yeah. I remember coming across it around about the time he came back to for the Hall of Fame, and uh, yeah, it's just this like weird sort of piece of history. It's like this is the last ever Ultimate Warrior match. And uh, Gary, have you seen this match? Have you? Have you? Did you even know this match existed? Uh, no, I've not seen this match. Uh, I don't think I'll watch it. I'll go and find it either. Um, uh, it's one of those ones. It's nice to know that it happened. 
Yeah. So <laughs> moving on, this is like sort of where we get to sort of talk about the sort of more negative parts of the Warrior uh, with the release in 2005 of the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, which is quite weird because it's a WWE-funded uh, documentary and it's just basically it's just basically a rundown of how terrible <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior was as a person and as a wrestler and getting all these people together to, to talk badly about him. Have uh, you guys actually managed to uh, see this uh, DVD at all? Yeah, I've, uh, I bought the DVD when it came out at the time and I actually had to dust off a DVD player at home to watch it, uh, watch it again. It's really quite something to see um, to see that this thing actually, you know, that WWE had went to this effort. It was an absolute burial. It's really brutal, actually. There's a real who's who of wrestling that have nothing good to say about the Warrior. We've got... Bobby Heenan, Vince, JR, Bischoff, Ted DiBiase, Hogan, uh, Mean Gene, you know, all sorts of folk. Then uh, they really didn't hold back on them. I've actually, I've just found on YouTube the Ultimate Warrior and the Orlando Jordan match. Um, 29 minutes this this video was, <laughs> that, uh, that's 29 minutes of my life that I'm not willing to sacrifice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a quicker version of it. Is, uh, I, don't, I can't remember watching 29 Minutes. Uh, what about yourself, Chris? Have you managed to check out this uh, DVD? Yeah, I think I watched it at the time and I decided that in preparation for this show that I didn't want to watch it again. I, I, I think that I wanted this show to be about the good parts of his career because God knows there's a lot of bad parts of his career and bad parts about his life as well. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't relive it. I've watched certain clips of it. I enjoy like when Christian and Chris Jericho, I think, are doing really good Ultimate Warrior impressions. But as you say, like I'd probably go so far as to say that this is the biggest absolute burial, a biggest tear apart documentary yeah. that WWE has ever made. Like they've made a lot of stuff that makes them look great and other people look bad, but this one is genuinely tearing apart. A, a human being like they've made a WWE've made a lot of enemies over the years like over money but there's none that's been quite as bad as this and um I feel like it makes me a lot happier that they managed to deal with this in 2014 because if this had been the end like like look at how Randy Savage ended with WWE not very amicable whereas like WWE got their shit together <laughs> with the warrior yeah, because uh, they actually asked him to appear on the DVD, but obviously said no. And this is a quote from someone that was representing the Ultimate at the time. He says, It's interesting how generous WWE is with their invitation to the Warrior to answer back to the commentary provided by the likes of Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, Bobby Heenan, Ted DiBiase, and Jerry Lawler, mostly for the reason that the only reason Warrior refused to participate on their project is because Vince refused to participate on like a documentary he had first. So he said, very interesting, but no, he didn't want to do it. So was that like, another reason why they started burying no more? But this is this DVD was a reason, because I think he was asked to be in the Hall of Fame a lot earlier than 2014, but he said no, because he's like, how can you have me... It just means that your Hall of Fame is like it's full of shit because you've got a DVD out there that's basically saying how crap of a wrestler and how crap of a person I am but yeah you want me to be in this 
sort of like gallery of best wrestlers. So yeah, for a long time he was very bitter for a long time about it. I don't blame him to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> with that with that particular DVD, it was it was something else. On it. I remember um, Bret Hart was. Uh, I went to see uh, a one man show that Bret Hart was doing, and just before the induction and. Brett was asked something about Warrior going into the Hall of Fame and he said yeah, i tell you one thing, I can't wait to hear the Warrior's speech that night because uh, I think everybody thought this guy's going to go off in one Yeah, he didn't, he, he didn't done a quite a, a good speech uh, but uh, we'll talk about that quite, quite quickly, we'll move on so it's essentially, it's 2013, the next WWE uh, game is coming out and they've managed to sort of get the warrior to appear in it and uh, i was pretty excited about this i don't know why just the idea of the because it was like if you were if he was signing in because obviously we had the brock lesnar uh sort of preview of him being in the wwe came and then a few months later he's back in the company so it was kind of like well this is quite interesting we're going to see the warrior back in wwe and yeah, what, what was your thoughts on uh the late him appearing in the game uh chris we'll start with you I had sort of lost touch with the wrestling games at this point. I was massively into them almost exactly 10 years earlier, but I was much the same as you. I was like, can this lead to something happening? Because, you know, this is kind of what happened with Brock. They got him back for a game, and then they sort of got him to go back all the time. And it's the same with Goldberg. It's kind of the same a bit with Hogan as well. Like, this has been a weird sort of inlet for wrestlers to come back to the company. And yeah, then before you know it, like Hall of Fame 2014. Yeah. Uh, what about you, uh, Gary? What, what was your thoughts did you about the promotion of the game and leading to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I, I don't play any of the games, but I remember the adverts coming on. And uh, I was a good cool advert, I think, of the Warrior going, if I remember right, the Warrior sort of being the Warrior inside um, like WWE offices. It was pre- I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, it was quite exciting to see him back. I mean, I never thought it was going to lead to, to him doing anything in the ring at that time but um, you know he still looked you know he looked in good shape he had his, you know, his short haircut by this point uh, so I never thought it would go that way but it was nice and I don't know how WWE's been able to use the 2K games to do that I don't know if it's like you know, you know like CM Punk's contracted by Fox type of deal that there's something he's able to somebody else is able to make it happen but it's um it was pretty cool I think a pretty cool advert with them in it as well yeah it was I remember that yeah I'm just going around the WWE office with the short hair and the face paint he still brought that intensity that he, he, he had it was almost like he never skipped a beat and yeah and obviously with him appearing in this game it's like the rub wins is it going to be Hall of, in the Hall of Fame and lo and behold yeah he's the headline act for 2014's Hall of Fame uh, uh so it just goes to show like uh, WWE like they're always welcoming to even uh, after having such a destructive sort of uh, opinion on them uh, with the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD it's like they're still happy to bring people back and it was quite nice to see them come home uh, what was your thoughts on it Gary with like them coming back and being inducted in the Hall of Fame oh, I, I find this quite hard to to talk, uh, talk about uh, and to think back on and to watch back um, is his, his Hall of Fame in, uh, induction is just you know tinged with all sorts of sadness because you see uh, how how much it meant to him to be there you know 
uh, it clearly meant a lot to him to be able to heal those old wounds to make up with people. You see how proud he was to be uh, walked onto stage by his two daughters, you know, and as as a father, I could imagine, you know, you know, you want to be a good role model for your for your children. You want them to think of you as a as a hero that can do no wrong. So to have for him to have that moment with his children, I thought was was amazing. There's a scene, you know, WWE made a really good documentary following his death, and it showed you behind the scenes of the Hall of Fame. And there's a very touching moment where he gives Vince a copy of a book, the Little Engine That Could book. Yeah. Um, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. Um, and he, he writes in the book uh, to Vince to thank him, for, thank him for everything. And you could see, you know, how much it meant to those those two, those two men. Um, to be able to repair, because you know, once upon a time they did have a good relationship. It's just a, you know, it's it's amazing that he, you know, he got that moment and great that they were able to repair all those wins and it was fantastic. It meant so much to him, but it's just just such a tragedy. What followed? And what about you, Chris? What was your thoughts of uh, hearing about the Warrior getting inducted into Hall of Fame as well as? being like doing his speech and being back in WWE so I've not watched a lot of the Hall of Fame speeches because I feel like that period of time just has too much wrestling going on for me to also have the Hall of Fame but I can say with confidence that I think that Warrior's speech is one of the best that have ever happened I think he touches on so many great things he of course touched on um, what became the what is it the Warrior Award yeah, the Warrior World, yeah. Which, you know, obviously, WWE have taken some creative license with that, but he wanted that to be an award that recognised all the people in the back that don't get recognised from the WWE company. Obviously, they've kind of changed it to just kind of be, you know, a hero of WWE. I thought that was so yeah. important. He also gave this brilliant, passionate speech to young people, which is like... As a right-wing conservative, which, you know, self-admittedly he was, to see him say something like that was so, so powerful. I wrote down the last line of it. He said, get out into the arena of life and make it happen there. He was basically saying, like, you know, if, if, if you're a young wrestler, don't just think about wrestling. Like, you're going to have a career after it, and you need to start thinking about that as well. And I was like, this is something that this business never talks about, and I feel like it's so, so, so important. And then yeah. I thought that, he would never be able to top that but then i also felt that he topped it two days later when he came out on raw as well if you want to talk about that yeah like uh so moving on to that so he appears at wrestlemania 30 he, like he seems like i, I don't know i remember watching it and i didn't you I, I couldn't i don't know that i haven't went back because it is pretty sad but i didn't come across it Brazil. but when he comes out to the ring on the next fight on raw you could he just something just feels off about him he's talking to the the crowd and he puts on the warrior mask and uh, i would like to like quote what he says but i don't think i'll ever do it justice so we're gonna insert a clip of the actual speech and and then we'll talk about it afterwards speak to me warrior As I thought about what I was going to say this evening, it's been hard 
For me, to find the words, that's... There you go. There's the warrior. Well then, you shut up, warrior, and let me do the talking. No WWE talent becomes a legend on their own. Every man's heart one day beats its final beat. His lungs breathe their final breath. And if what that man did in his life makes the blood pulse through the body of others and makes them believe deeper in something than larger than life, then his essence, his spirit will be immortalized by the storytellers, by the loyalty, by the memory of those who honor him and make the running the man did live forever. You, 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 you are the legend makers of Ultimate Warrior. In the back, I see many potential legends, some of them with warrior spirits, and you will do the same for them. You will decide if they lived with a passion and intensity, so much so that you will tell your stories and you will make them legends as well. I am Ultimate Warrior. You are the Ultimate Warrior fans. And the spirit of Ultimate Warrior will run forever! But yeah, that is just like every man's heart beats one last time. What what words to say, you know, and then before we know it, it's like he passes away, like the next, I think it's the next day. It's just like, I couldn't believe it. I, I remember uh, I was at work at the time and I, I was getting, like, I got an update on my phone about it and I was like, no way, this can't be real. Um, uh, Gary, where whereabouts were you like when you held the news and like what was your reaction to it? Obviously, yeah. talking about the promo first. Yeah, I, in his moment, I, I was th- thrilled. You know, the Raw after Mania is all, always good, um, and I remember watching Raw that night and and seeing or hearing that Warrior was going to be on it, and it hadn't been announced. Or if it had been announced, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> So I was watching the show and I was dead excited to see Warrior was coming to the ring and you, um, and then we you know, he came to the ring with his, his suit on and then gets the jacket on, doesn't he, and puts, puts the mask on and cuts the Warrior promo. And at the time it was kind of like, it was a Warrior promo. But then when you listen back and the words, that especially the following day, they meant so much more. And... Um, it was nice to see his family in the audience. Um, uh, you know, fourteen-year-old and twelve-year-old. I think he was the age of his daughters at the time. You know, how thrilled they were to to see see the dad there. It was, um, yeah. I'm just so tragic. And you watch the documentary back, and you can see the effort that you know Triple H heard about it and him trying to get a hold of Vince to tell Vince. And you can see how just. Just genuinely distraught Vince McMahon is speaking about it. Um, I can't remember exactly where I was, but I remember getting a, a text message through about it and being like, "Oh my God, really?" It was just, 
you know, such a juxta- juxtaposition. He was, you know, having the time of his life one minute, and then the next minute, his life is his life is over. Yeah. What's your thoughts on on it, Chris? N- never. It's so difficult to talk about, right? Because it was such a perfect yet tragic ending. Like, yeah. it was such a closing of a book. What he did on April seventh, I think it was. Like he could not have performed any better. I mean, he'd kind of stopped performing. He was just speaking from the heart, and like I'm looking at the words that he says in that speech just now, and it's insane. It's as if he knew that he wasn't in a very good place, and he yeah. wanted to make a point of making a very public goodbye, and. The most important thing I think about it is that he signed off that speech basically saying like he wasn't the ultimate warrior. The crowd were the legend makers of the ultimate warrior. And it, like he just even just watching it back now, what, six years after this has happened, it still just absolutely plays on me so, so hard because like, <laughs> I mean, he just basically signed off his whole career perfectly. And he yeah, walked it's... off into the sunset like... Yeah, it's it's almost like a sort of like uh, sort of got a bit of romantic sort of like themes behind it because it's yeah he comes back from a company that's you know because he is a controversial figure the the the, the, the ultimate warrior is but it's like he comes back he's made up with the company that kind of gave him the the fame uh, you know he's in the hall of fame he does the speech and then yeah it's like he passes away like fifty four of a heart attack and it, and it just goes to show about like the way when when you look at how he looked and. Yeah, you could. I think he always came out and did say he was using performance enhancing, and it's just a shame because he come back and you could kind of tell maybe he just wanted to make amends with some of the stuff he'd done wrong, and yeah, he's passed away. And it was like I always imagine him like being in the company as like a sort of manager, and I don't know why, but a heel manager, just thinking that would just be an interesting take. And it just feels like there's so much like it's been taken away. Like, what would you have, like if he was still here? What would you guys like to have seen next of the Warrior? I'll start with you, Chris. I would love to have seen what the Ultimate Warrior's ability would have been in terms of NXT. A man who is so unique, whether good or bad, in both promo work, in-ring work, entrance. Like, how? what knowledge would he have been able to bestow upon all these young guys and girls that are coming through wrestling just now? It would have been fascinating to watch. And, in, like, I mean, we already see his influence so much on so many different wrestlers. It would have been so interesting to see what he would have been like in a sort of Dusty Rhodes capacity where he was, you know, hands-on working with new young wrestlers it's fascinating what could have been I think a lot of the same things about Randy Savage as well, like, what would he have been like had he been still alive in, in the world of wrestling today? Yeah, uh, what about yourself uh, Gary? Um, I, I couldn't really imagine the warrior going on to do anything else in that way. I mean, you maybe guest appearance here and there. Uh, I, I would have liked, you know, this to have been, you know, that was a perfect send-off for him. What, you know, a wee bit, you know, Ric Flair's retirement uh, angle was amazing. Unfortunately, he couldn't keep out the ring that followed. I would have liked that to have been, you know, the final moment for the Ultimate Warrior in the same way. He got an amazing send-off Um you know, there, I'm sure there have been opportunities for him to come back here and there to do a guest appearance, but I wouldn't have liked to see him as a 
you know, as a returning character, I couldn't really imagine him in that in those ways. Um, and I'm not, you know, he, certainly he could teach. You know, people could learn from him in a sort of masterclass type setup about character and presentation. Uh, and so on. I mean, he certainly couldn't have teach. I don't think he could teach them much in terms of the fundamentals of the business. But being being a character and bringing your personality out, it would have been good to have a couple of like guest appearances. I'd have thought there. But it was just such a. I think that's what makes the tragedy even more. You know, it was just such a perfect send off. You know, perfect uh, send off for the Ultimate Warrior, the wrestler. Um, that that weekend it was just just an absolute tragedy yeah it's like guys it's just it just goes to show like what like professional wrestling it's like you could it just he comes back and then the next thing you know it's like like he's passed away and i don't i don't know it's just it's quite hard to talk about because yeah it's it's you know he was still young he was only 54 and he, he left this massive legacy and you know just there was a lot to cover and like an hour and a half uh, there's like so much more you can like check out with the warrior and that, and that. but it's like he's, he's sort of that main run it was only like what a few four years but you were just his legacy just not to, to like his legacy just lives on it's just he, he had such a great character and you know we're still talking about him to this day uh, what's your final thoughts on the warrior as a whole do you think um, he's 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 deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, or you know, do you feel like maybe he wasn't as good as people remember? Uh, start with uh, Chris first. I think the uh, final thoughts on the Ultimate Warrior is that one of the things that WWE and WWF have always wanted to do is that they want their wrestlers to be like superheroes, as we sort of touched on earlier on. They want them to be larger than life, and. You could almost say that there's no more larger-than-life character than what you had with the Ultimate Warrior. And there's a pretty good quote on the WWE website, which I thought I would just shamelessly steal for how well it sums up the character. It says that he drew power from the WWE Universe more than anyone else. He brought Hulkamania to its knees and he retired Macho Madness. He was one of the greatest legends of his era. And I think that sums him up quite well. Yeah, that's a really good quote. What about yourself, Gary? What's your like final thoughts on the, the career of the Warrior? I think he is deserving of his place in the Hall of Fame. I think he was an amazing, an amazing character. Larger than life, packed full of energy. He, uh, he could have achieved more. He undoubtedly I, I think could have achieved more uh, if he'd been able to deal with um, people better uh, but uh, an amazing an amazing career and uh, I'm pleased that he got to repair his relationships with uh, with WWE with Vince McMahon with lots of other people yeah no, so let's say it's just a I, I'd sort of picture perfect again uh, for him the way he's like the way the last of his days ended, and yeah, to quote the warrior himself, the spirit of the world will run forever, and I think that's true. And I've got to thank my panel. It's been an absolute. It's been a pleasure talking about the Ultimate Warrior, 
I definitely <laughs> check them out. I've got to thank Gary. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, and Chris, and Chris, with his, uh, he's, you're just bringing so much knowledge into us. It's like, there's so much I didn't even, I was like, I like, there was just so much to research considering how small a career is. But yeah, thanks. Thank you, Chris, for being a part yeah, of the no show today. No problem, no problem. It just goes to show you that despite how bad things can be with a wrestler, it can all be resolved in the future. And keep that in mind in 10 years' time when Dean Ambrose is going into the WWE <laughs> Hall of Fame. I uh, will keep that in mind. And always forever, uh, Quacker, although he's been quite quiet this episode, but he's, he's always there. Thanks, Quacker. Ah, uh, no problem at all. Uh, so and I've been Andy Mitchell. Again, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave a like, review, and check us out our back catalogue on Eat Sleep Suflex Retweet. You'll find us on iTunes, Spotify, any Android podcast device, and give us a follow on the social medias at Suflex Retweet. Next week, there's going to be a show on pay-per-view rebooking, still to be certified, but that's going to be a good show. <laughs> we still don't uh, know what we're discussing. Still don't know it, so check that out. Uh, so, a little teaser a little teaser we've been talking about what pay-per-view we're going to rebook today and the stuff that has been thrown about whatever one we end up doing is going to be awesome I'm really looking forward to that remember I've said that next week when this show is terrible (laughs) that's when it's a Halloween havoc of (laughs) me yes oh yes please I'm putting that in the chat right now alright okay I've been Andy Mitchell and thanks for joining us Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now! Sports Social Podcast Network.